June 13th. And now we begin today's reading in the New Testament. We'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 9. We'll see the conversion of Saul of Tarsus was a turning point in the church's entire history. The witness of Stephen was significant, as were the testimonies and prayers of persons Saul persecuted. Ananias baptized him and encouraged him, and the disciples at Damascus saved his life. When the church in Jerusalem feared to welcome Saul into their fellowship, Barnabas, that means son of encouragement, built the bridge. He was the bridge. We do not know the names of the brave men who smuggled Saul out of Damascus, but, you know, holding the ropes was a very important job. And with that, let's begin today's reading in the New Testament. June 13th, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to destroy the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was nearing Damascus on this mission, a brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down upon him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, and go into the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men with Saul stood speechless with surprise, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. As Saul picked himself up off the ground, he found that he was blind, so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and all that time he went without food and water. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you arrive, ask for Saul of Tarsus. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and we hear that he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest every believer in Damascus. But the Lord said, Go and do what I say, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for me, So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you may get your sight back and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward he ate some food and was strengthened. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. 
and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who persecuted Jesus' followers with such devastation in Jerusalem? they asked. And we understand that he came here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests. Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, the Jewish leaders decided to kill him, but Saul was told about their plot and that they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. So during the night, some of the other believers let him down in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. There are times that I preach because our church needs to hear it. And there are times that I preach because America and the world needs to hear it. Today is the latter. Because just a few days ago, the world media reported that the Pope made the shocking statement, there is no hell. And in eternity, you just disappear. The Vatican was greatly alarmed, and they should be. Theologically, if there is no hell, what did Jesus die on the cross to save us from? If there is no hell where the ungodly pay for all eternity for their sinful conduct on earth, why is the Bible saturated with the message of the reality of hell from the beginning to the end? I know that a lot of you in this audience are saying, why preach on hell to our enlightened generation? Well, let me tell you that our enlightened generation is turning America into hell on earth. Some of you have already turned white and I haven't even gotten to the text yet. We have mass, mass killings of innocent school children that are transforming our public schools into slaughterhouses. We have kicked God out of our schools. We have mocked the Ten Commandments and it has the phrase, thou shall not kill. We have embraced immorality. One university this coming week is having sex week, encouraging all students to have sex. Think about that. The occult is in the rampage in this country. The principles of anarchy are being taught in our universities. What you're seeing on the television screen is not wholesome democracy. It's conquer and divide. That's Marxism, by the way. This week, George Washington University conducted an event called, quote, Combat Christian Privilege, Especially White Christians. This is anarchy in our public schools and universities. This is intended to divide us, not unite us. It is the death of freedom, and it's a roaring prairie fire that's sweeping across this country in our educational centers. Hear me, America must have a moral and spiritual revival, or we're going to have a revolution in the streets of this nation.
when the vice president of the United States is mocked for, by, for his faith in Jesus Christ by a television talk show host, Joy Behar. It's open season against Christianity. I encourage every Christian to boycott that television movie, that television show. If there is no hell, why did Moses write in Deuteronomy 32:22, for fire is kindled in God's anger and shall burn in the lowest hell? That's pretty clear. If there is no hell, why did King David say in Psalms 9:17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God? And I assure you, America is working at forgetting God. If God does not judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. If there is no hell, why did Jesus say, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out? Why? Because he said, it is better for you, it is more profitable for you, that one of your members perish, than your whole body shall be cast into hell. Your eye offended you would be watching pornography on the television or the magazines that you've got hidden in your mattress at home that you think your wife doesn't know is there. If there is no hell, why did John the Revelator write in chapter 20 verse 13, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire? If there is no hell, why did Jesus give us a story about rich men and Lazarus? This is not a parable. In a parable, you don't give names. This is not a parable. This is about real people who went to a real place, who experienced real suffering. They knew who they were, they knew where they were. There is no such thing as soul sleep where you simply disappear after you die. You are going to live somewhere forever, either in the presence of God or in the place called hell. That's a Bible fact. Today we're reading Psalm 131, verses 1 through 3. And almost children naturally resist weaning because they want to continue enjoying the special attention of mother and the security it brings. Children do not realize that the traumatic experience of weaning is the first step toward maturity and freedom. And God never takes anything from you without giving you something better. You may weep and try to hold on to the past, but God tenderly leads you toward the future. When God weans you away from something, do not fret. He has something better to take its place. Psalm 131, verses 1 through 3, a song for the ascent to Jerusalem, a psalm of David. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or awesome for me. But I have stilled and quieted myself, just as a small child is quiet with its mother. Yes, like a small child is my soul within me. O oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. Proverbs 17, verses 4 and 5. Wrongdoers listen to wicked talk. Liars pay attention to destructive words. Those who mock the poor 
insult their Maker. Those who rejoice at the misfortune of others will be punished. <laughs>